Good morning, everybody. So glad that you're here this morning. How many of you know God is doing great things? We've got July. I'm going to ask one more time. This is your cue to be like, woo, okay, right? How many of you know that God is doing great things? There it is. <laughs> there it is. Hey, July 31st, we're super excited about we, what well, we are going to have the opportunity to be a part of. On July 31st, we are going to be partnering with Convoy of Hope, a ministry that I'll be talking about later in my message. But we're partnering with Convoy of Hope, a ministry that has literally fed millions of people around the world. They, they, are, they don't uh, mince words. They know that they, they represent Jesus, and their goal is to represent Jesus to the world and to feed those who are hungry, to respond to those who are in need and living in disaster. Uh, Convoy of Hope is, is a phenomenal ministry that does great things all around the world. They have over 130 or 388,000 children are fed on a daily basis by Convoy of Hope. I mean, they're all around the world. They're in 127 countries. They do so, such great work. We get to partner with them on July 31st and be part of what is called a Convoy event, where we are going to invite people from the community to come onto our property. And what we are going to be doing is handing out groceries and giving away backpacks and, and just honestly spreading love and, and uh, just, just hope to people who are, who are in need. So if you are available, our ask is that you would join us in providing hope for our community. On July 31st, we are looking to onboard 100 people for that day to be part of our surf team. If you are a parent and, and you've got kids and you're like, man, it's going to be really tough for me. i got to find a sitter. Uh, we are providing child care here on our location for any parents who need that. Uh, but July 31st is going to be the day of the event. We're also looking to raise $5,000 so that we can raise the funds to provide 500 backpacks for students all across Wichita. Uh, we're going to be, again, like I said, one of eight different locations, so strategically spread throughout Wichita, but we get a beautiful opportunity. My ask is that you would join us and be a part of one of the best events that we will provide, especially after a COVID season. This is going to be one of the best things that we're going to be able to provide. So go ahead and go to zayek.church forward slash sign up, and you can sign up. All the details are there. We'd love to have you a part of this wonderful ministry. Amen? Awesome. Uh, 7.30. I don't know who asked that. Oh, Mason, you could have just asked me after service, dude. 7.30. 7.30 a.m. Uh, I love you. He's, he's captain on soccer team. Anyway, um, one another. This is a series that we started last week. One another is one of our favorite. Uh, we see this. We just started this last week. One another is one of the, 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 the most often used phrases in Scripture. In fact, we, we see it as the Greek word. It's not two words. In English, it's translated two words, but in the Greek, it's one word. It's aleleon, and we see this word used over a hundred times in Scripture, right? We, we see this word 59 of those times. We see it reference relationships in church, how we are to treat one another. A third of the time, it deals, that word is dealing with church unity. A third of the time, it tells the church to love one another. A third of the time, it instructs us to have attitudes of humility. We see this word one another all of the time. And we kind of laid a foundation a couple weeks ago, and we said this, whatever we see repeated often, I mean, how many of you would say a hundred times is a lot? Whenever we see something repeated often in Scripture, oftentimes it deserves our attention, our repeated attention. So we've said, we set a course to, for the next couple of weeks, to just cue in on those areas where we see whether it's Jesus or one of the apostles using the word one another, we are saying, hey, that's a cue for us to recognize how we are to interact with one another. 
You see, we live in a time and in a culture where we emphasize the individual, right? Individualism is probably the, the highest, one of the highest values in our culture today, right? It probably started with my generation. It probably started with the internet phase and MySpace and Zanga, right? Like how many of you remember those things? Those are throwbacks. Uh, MySpace and Zanga, and, and it, it's morphed into social media, and now we have highlight reels on Instagram. We've got all these different things. So we have really become a very individualistic society. It hasn't always been that way. And what we have kind of seen as a result of what has started and birthed in our culture and our society, I mean, everybody's got a blog. I mean, so how many of you have like, you know, burner accounts and all these different, like we, we all have this. We, we emphasize the individual quite a bit. And it's kind of morphed itself into our spirituality as well, where we emphasize the self in our spirituality, where we, we emphasize the personal relationship with Jesus, which I am thankful for a personal relationship with Jesus, but that doesn't mean it's a solo relationship with Jesus. What do I mean by that? Well, when we look at the cross, when we look at what Jesus accomplished, we notice that he didn't just come to restore our, our vertical relationship with the Father, he didn't come just to be a bridge so that we could have a, an individual, personal relationship with the Father. He also came, in addition to that, he also came so that we would have a true community with each other. And that's oftentimes something that is not emphasized in our culture. We say, oh, Jesus came to save me, but we don't realize that he also came to save and restore our relationships with each other. And we don't have to look at the news for too long to realize how easy it is for people to become divided. But here in the church, and specifically in Scripture, and when we look at how God desires His church to engage, we will see this phrase, one another, used over a hundred times. God is greatly concerned. God is greatly concerned with how you and I treat one another. His ambition, his goal is for us to also be focused on how we treat one another. We started two weeks ago with this one passage. This is, this is kind of where we've launched from in John chapter 13 where Jesus is emphasizing the one another. He's teaching about how he's going to go to the cross and he's going to be crucified, but don't worry, three days later he'll, he'll rise again and that everyone will betray him. And he's bringing all these different things up. But then he says in John chapter 13, he says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Three times, Jesus repeated this in one small teaching. He's clarifying, listen, the, the world's going to know you're my disciples. The world is going to know that you are my followers, not if you just, just go to church, but, but if you love one another. The, the, uh, this is the way to, to fulfill my commands, the greatest command that I have, love one another. I mean, we see him say this over and over and over again. So today, we are jumping into a topic where we see the Apostle Paul discuss called serve one another. Everybody say the word serve. Serve one another. I want to start by sharing this story. How many of you like origin stories? 
Like, how many of you are watching, you know, Loki and kind of uh, Disney? Like, I just love that Marvel does this. I just watched Black Widow on Friday. Pretty sweet to see, like, where it all originated from. Like, I, I am a, you know this about me. Like, I'm a nerd when it comes to things like that. I love origin stories. Uh, when, when I'll do a character study in Scripture, like, I, I love just learning about the culture of the individual and just going back and hearing the origin story. Well, we were doing this Convoy event on July 31st, and uh, I started doing some research on Convoy of Hope, and I wanted the origin story for Convoy of Hope. And I came to discover that the, the founder of Convoy, a man by the name of Hal Donaldson, here's a picture of him on the screen, Hal Donaldson, he, at the age of 12, his father was tragically killed in a car accident. I mean, it's kind of like the makings of a superhero story already. Um, but his, his dad was, was tragically killed in a car accident. And he, he revealed, he said, our lives changed instantly. We went from being a family that had much affluence and dad was doing well to the next week moving in with friends because we couldn't pay the mortgage and dad had no life insurance and we had nothing. They moved into a trailer with some friends from church and a young Hal Donaldson started going down a spiral of anger and frustration and understandably so until, until the, 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 the husband, the, the, the father figure in, of that family the, that they moved in with put his arms around Hal and said, Hal, we can't allow what has happened to us to define our future. And he walked with them and navigated life with them and encouraged them and ensured that he had everything supplied for him. That he was fed and taken care of. And he, he really was just blessed. And he realized at a young age that when he was lacking, that the one another's, the church, surrounded his family. And they would oftentimes bring groceries to their, to their home and, and just love on them. And nothing would ever take place of the loss that was, was tragically experienced by the loss of a father but when the one another's of the body of Christ came around them and began to love them it gave Hal Donaldson hope he says in his biography that when you are born into poverty your only objective in life is to get out of poverty so when he went off to college and went off to school he thought to himself I, I need to get out of here. I need to get out of this situation and provide for my family. So he, he started, uh, he started be, uh, a path down journalism. You're like, wait, that, that's not lucrative, but it was in, in his time period. He started off down, down journalism, and he became a very successful uh, ghostwriter. And they would send him off on you know, various adventures around the world, and he would go interview people. And there was one time where Hal Donaldson in 1979, as he was graduating college, he had graduated college a year before, they sent him to Kolkata, India. And at the time in India, it was a time of great poverty. There was great, uh, a, a, a great famine all across the country. And Hal went and by his surprise was going to meet Mother Teresa. How many of you are familiar and remember Mother Teresa? Here's a picture of Mother Teresa. She was known for uh, feeding thousands of children a day. Uh, many of those who were sick, many of those who had very contagious, easily contracted disease, she did not care. She was a, she's a Catholic, or she was a Catholic nun. She didn't care about the sickness that she could possibly uh, contract. She cared about serving and loving people. She sacrificed everything to be around the poorest of the poor in India. 
And one day, Hal Donaldson had the assignment to go interview Mother Teresa. So he shows up, and he just records this beautiful exchange that revolutionized his world, revolutionized his life. He, he had this exchange. It's, it says here in his autobiography that within minutes of meeting Mother Teresa, she had unknowingly helped set a new course for my life by asking me a simple question. Hal, what are you doing to help the poor and suffering? I mean, just let the gravity of that moment sink in. Here's a woman who has nothing to her name but the clothes on her back and yet gives everything that she has to thousands. Started over 1,500 different settlements all across the world and has raised people up to go serve in these charitable organizations. Has no financial wealth, gives everything back to the community. And here she is, humbly, but with great command and poise, asking this young college student who's carrying baggage of his own and hurt and frustration, saying, Hal, what are you doing to help the poor and suffering? And at this moment, Hal recollects in another, in another speech, he says, in that moment I was thinking, you know, Mother Teresa, you, you don't know the suffering that I've endured. But he says in that moment he was silenced and he says, not wanting to lie to Mother Teresa, because how many of you know it would have been like, man, I, I go to the, you know, the, uh, I, I volunteer every Sunday and I do this, I'm part of the serve team and I change diapers. At, like Hal, not wanting to lie to Mother Teresa, he looked up and he said, nothing really. And she looked at him kindly and said, everyone can do something for someone. Everyone can do something for someone. What was Mother Teresa trying to convey to this young man who had experienced tragedy in his life, but it also witnessed in the midst of that tragedy the, the great blessing of the church, the one another's in the body of Christ. He was receiving this challenge to start somewhere. And maybe when we talk about serving, you're like, I, I don't know where to start. I don't, know, I don't know how to get along in this process. Or maybe you started a long time ago and have since stopped. I'm here to tell you this morning that as we, as we jump into our word this morning, I believe God's desire for us is to realize that serving is part of the design for our life. His desire, his design is that we would be men and women who serve one another. Today, the, the main passage that I want us to, to kind of launch out of is found in first, or I'm sorry, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. I want to read this together. And we're going to be all around Galatians today, so we're going to be jumping around. We're going to really spend some time looking at what was happening in the church in Galatia. But here is what many, many commentators would say, this is really the crux of the message in Galatia. He says here in verse 13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. How many of you are thankful that last week was 4th of July and we were celebrating freedom and some people are still celebrating freedom at 3 o'clock in the morning and it's frustrating. It's like, you're not that free, come on. Um, but here Paul is saying, he's like, listen, brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. The reason why Jesus came and we're going to see this in a little bit, he came to set us free. 
We realize that. Set us free from sin, to set us free from bondage and darkness and the perceptions of man, to, to, to set us free to freely serve God. I mean, he came to set us free. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. You're going to see a lot in, Gal- in, the, in, in Galatia, or the, the book of Galatians, uh, we're going to see a lot, this, this kind of idea of indulging the flesh, feeding the flesh. What is he talking about? That he's, he's meaning our own carnal desires, our own selfish desires. So he's saying, uh, do not use your freedom to just indulge yourself. Rather, or on the contrary, serve one another. You've been set free with that freedom, serve one another humbly in love for the entire law, all of the Old Testament teachings, the prophecy, the Torah, the Mosaic law, all the way up through the prophets, all the way up through the New Testament, the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. When we serve one another humbly in love, you and I are fulfilling the requirements of the Old Testament. We, uh, we obviously know Jesus brought satisfaction to the Father where we could not meet those needs, specifically the needs of holiness. But, but when it comes to us accomplishing and living out the law, there's over 700 laws in the Old Testament alone. We fulfilled every single one of them Obviously, Christ fulfilled every single one of them. And by receiving Christ, we in turn have received that as well. But he says we satisfy the law when we love one another. Just just take a moment. Don't be creepy. But take a moment and just look around. Look look around the room. Some of you are like, I ain't looking, right? (laughs) But just just look around the room. and, and, And I want us to realize something. That in the body of Christ, when Jesus challenges us to love one another he's not just saying love those who are easy to love love those who are within the same household love those who you've held hands with at an altar and made commitments to love for the entirety of your life love those to whom are your offspring no he says love one another we are called to be a body of believers a unit we are called to love one another. And maybe today you're, you're a little apprehensive towards that. Maybe you've been burned in the past. Or maybe you don't know where to start. I want to t- challenge you this morning to make this commitment to say, I want to satisfy the requirements that I see Paul talk about here. I want to love my neighbor as ourself. What's some context to what was happening in Galatia? Let me just give you some context. So in the New Testament church of Galatia, we know that this, this re- it was actually a region. So most New Testament epistles were written to city churches, right? Like Corinth was a city-state. Uh, we know that Ephesus was a city, but Galatia was actually like an entire region. It would have been considered more, instead of a city, it was more of a state. It was a, it was a church or a group of churches that were actually planted by Paul on his first missionary journey. So Paul gets saved. He goes on a missionary journey. He begins planting churches. He planted a church in this region known as Galatia. And if we were looking at a map, if you saw the Black Sea above, you would see the Mediterranean beneath. This is where Galatia was. You had Jerusalem to the south, and then you had all of the Roman world to the east of that, right smack dab in the middle, separating you know, the, the ancient Near East and Rome, like the, the, the majority of Rome, you had this region known as Galatia. 
uh, and it was historically, it, I, would, I would kind of consider it the Wild West. Uh, it was very difficult to get law and order here. In fact, there are many historians who say the Romans tried and failed numerous times to civilize this region of Galatia. It was known also by uh, the, the Gauls, G-A-U-L-S, or the Gaelic people. And when you look up historians and what they say about the Gauls, they, were, they, they consider them barbaric, and they consider them, uh, in fact, if there was a, a region of people that were most utilized in this period to be mercenaries and hired hands for military uh, adventures and, and activations, it would have been the people from the region of Galatia. They were tough, rough people. Like when we think of the Wild West, you can consider Galatia the very same way, people walking with chaps on and cow, not really, but that would have been really cool. Uh, but it was, it was a very, very wild and very difficult place. It was historically pagan and predominantly Gentile. Uh, pagan meaning that they didn't believe in one God, they believed in a, in a slew of gods. They believed in many gods. And they worshipped them that way, like they had a god of the mountains, a god of the sky, a god of agriculture. They had, they had gods of everything, and they were just a very paganistic group of people. Uh, they were also predominantly Gentile. So there was, the word Gentile literally means non-Jew. Uh, they were non-Jewish people, so they, didn't, they weren't raised with a biblical or an Old Testament mindset. Uh, these people, they fell in love with Jesus early on. Paul came, and if you want, you can read about this in Acts chapter 13 and 14, kind of the story of how this region was, was won for Jesus. But Paul was there. He endured a lot of, uh, honestly, he was, he was beat and he was bruised and he was stoned. And uh, there was times where he prayed and there was a miraculous event that took place. And some people even, I mean, this is how crazy they were and paganistic they were. Uh, so they, they started falling on their knees and worshiping them and calling him Zeus and his ministry partner, they called him Hermes. So like, like they, they were literally worshiping, worshiping them as gods. And he's like, no, no, stop. I'm just, I'm just a man. I'm here to tell you about the real God. Let me talk to you about Jesus, right? Uh, but here we see just a very difficult region. And they fell in love with Jesus quick. Like they, they got saved and it was like an instant transformation all across the region. Churches were popping up left and right. People were, I mean, just a great, beautiful revival. What Rome could not do, the power of the gospel accomplished. Rome tried to civilize this region and they would fail miserably. They tried to do it with the sword, but Paul did it with the truth and the hope of the gospel. I mean, it's just this beautiful story of the power and the impact of the Holy Spirit and what the church could do. So they fell in love with Jesus early on, but then somewhere along the line, the church was invaded by those who we're going to understand and see here in a few moments, known as Judaizers, who came and started preaching a, another gospel. Paul would say, you are saved simply by putting your faith in Jesus. There's no amount of works. There's no, there's no waiting period. There's no trial time or a testing time. You are saved the moment you put your faith in Christ. It is through faith alone in Christ alone. Like literally, that, that, that's what he was teaching. And yet, there was a group of Judaizers who came and said, yeah, it's Jesus and some. They were tacking on more responsibilities and more weight. And the Galatians, probably because they were a, a rough and, you know, a tough group of people, they're like, bring it on. Like, whatever, however difficult it's going to be, we want this. So 
then they fell away from God and started buying into this false gospel. And we're going to read a few things that Paul says to this church in Galatia. Look what he says in, in chapter 1, verse 6 and 7. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. You heard the gospel of Jesus preached, that, that salvation is only through putting your faith and hope in Jesus. That's, there, there's no amount of works that you could accomplish to be in right standing with God. It has to be you accepting the finished and completed work of Christ. You heard this gospel, he's saying. But I can't believe I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. The word gospel means good news. He's saying, how did, how did you turn away from the good news and now you're following another good news and they're not even that good? Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 through 3 would say in the next one here, it says, you foolish Galatians. Now, Paul had the relationship. I want us to be very clear. Paul just doesn't call people foolish. It's not good practice to just go up to someone and be like, you fool, right? Uh, he had this relationship. He planted this church. He, was like he had friends in this church. But he's like, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to, gain, to, trying to finish by means of the flesh? And this is what we're going to see constantly. Works of the law contrasted with means of the flesh. Just remember that. We're going to see this constantly contrasted. And I believe today, as we talk about serving one another, I believe that we all experience influence in one of these categories. Are you serving because you feel it's, it's what is required in order to satisfy God? Or are you serving your own flesh? Paul is trying to convey something. He said, you guys got kind of lost along the way and you forgot why you serve and why you love and why you are saved in the first place. But he continues on in Galatians chapter 4. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. What is he saying? He's saying, Before you came to know Jesus, you weren't free, you were enslaved. How many of you would be honest this morning and admit, man, before I knew Christ, I thought I had the freedom to act and behave and do whatever I want, but I realized I was actually enslaved by those things. I was enslaved by the perceptions of man. I was enslaved by the opinions of others. I was enslaved by addiction, and I was enslaved by all these different things. I was enslaved by fear, and yet I thought I was free. And here Paul is saying, listen, you guys, before you knew God, you were slave to those who by nature are not gods. He's talking about the false gods that they worshiped. He says, but now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. He's literally talking about the, the Judaizers, the, those who were Jewish Christians who came to the region of Gal, or, uh, Galatia and said, in order for you to be a true follower of Jesus, you must first become a Jew. That's literally what they were saying. Because you have to remember, Jesus was Jewish. The, 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 the Jesus of the gospel was raised 
in Galilee. He was a cultural Jew. He wore a yarmulke. Just kidding, he didn't. It wasn't there yet. But, but he, was, he, would, he would have looked like a little Ben Shapiro. Like that, that, would have been, that would have been Jesus. I don't know why I said that. He, he, was, uh, he, he was Jewish. So, so all of the things that he satisfied and fulfilled, everything that he preached and quoted from, it was all from the Old Testament. So now when these people are coming to Jesus, they're coming to salvation, they're like, great, I'm putting my faith in this Jesus. He came to, to make one flesh. It's not about us being all Jews now. We are now one people. It's, we're neither Jew nor Greek. We're neither male nor female. We're neither Gentile nor free. We are one in Christ. This is the message that Paul was bringing. And these Judaizers were coming and saying, hey, if you want to come to Jesus, you got to look the part first. You need to observe the requirements of the law. You need to keep holy the Sabbath. You need to do all of these different regulations. You need to have different days and months and seasons and years that you're observing things. And, he's, and Paul is saying, by going back towards that, you are enslaving yourself. The Galatians forgot salvation doesn't come by what we can do, but by what Jesus has done. You see, these people are just like us from time to time, constantly teetering on the falsehood of what I want to call legalism and lawlessness. Legalism and lawlessness. I would define legalism as this, relying on religious behavior to make you right with God. If I just behave right, then that will, that will make me right with God. Now, I want to be super clear. I'm not saying we shouldn't behave. We should. We know that holiness is something God calls us to, but it's not something that we aspire for in our own strength it is a result of being in community with god so long in the church we talked about holiness being something we we aspire towards and we have to work towards this but when we read scripture and we see what should happen is that the character and the nature of godliness should flow out of us as a result as an overflow of what god is doing in us and the moment we think that we achieve holiness in our own strength, we are falling victim to legalism. When you have a mental shift and you say, I have to go to church, or I have to serve, or I have to give my tithes, in order to, to kind of keep this act up, we are falling into the trap of legalism. So what do we do? Do we just say, well, I'm not going to do it because I don't have to, I shouldn't have to? No, no, no. We return to the source and say, God, forgive me of that. Forgive me of my legalistic ways. On the opposite spectrum of legalism is lawlessness, which is relying on personal feelings to determine what's right. Instead of going to God and saying, Lord, what do you say is right? Instead of turning to the scriptures and saying, God, how, how do you define sexuality? How do you define morality and ethics? Lawlessness instead says, what do I determine as truth? And man, I, I am seeing this more and more as the days go on. This idea that we are the arbiters of our own destiny and that we get to decide and determine what's right and wrong. Listen, we are creations of God. 
He's called us to follow His will for our lives. In fact, life is better. Life is better when we humble ourselves, and all of us have to do this, at every single one of us, whether you're raised in church or not, every single one of us have this moment where our desires are competing with the desires of God. And in those moments where we refuse to consult what God desires and thinks and we just consult our own flesh, we are erring on the side of lawlessness. And in this entire passage in Galatia, Paul is bringing these up. The church was dealing with legalism, trying to, I mean, literally what Paul talks about in nails time and time again in, in, in the book of Galatians is that some were coming and saying, hey, if you wanted to be a true follower of Jesus, you need to be circumcised, which is the mark of those who are Jews. And if you're going to be one of us, you have, you have to experience this. But what are these symptoms of legalism? Really quick, I want to show them to you. The symptoms of legalism, no joy in your life unless you're performing well. You have highs and lows. When you're doing well, you're like, oh, thank you, God. I'm going to worship you. I'm going to praise you. But the moment something is off, or maybe your performance is off, instead of running to the source of repentance, there is this lingering period of just anxiety, depression, frustration. That, that should be a symptom. Hey, maybe, maybe I'm leering into this area of legalism. Keeping records of everything you do right and also keeping tabs on everything others do wrong. This is a symptom of legalism. Also, being void of real love and forgiveness. Placing personal convictions on others. These are symptoms of legalism. Let me show you some symptoms of lawlessness. No joy, again, symptoms of lawlessness are no joy unless you are satisfying yourself. Unless you're getting your way. Another one is you have no desire to truly please God. You have no desire to truly serve others. You're void of real love and you find no need for forgiveness and you hardly have any personal convictions. It's all about the self. And this entire book, Paul is trying to open up the eyes of the church saying, we are neither called to be legalistic or lawless. What are we called instead to do? Well, he tells us here, look what, I want to read this passage and end with this. In Galatians 5, he says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. He's saying, don't go back to your former ways. I believe in this place, there are some of you who are on the cusp of saying, it was, it was better back then. I had more freedom back then. That is a lie from the enemy. Paul is saying to the, the Galatian church, don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, by lawlessness. In verse six, he continues, he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, because that's what they were trying to say. If you want to be like us, if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you must first be a Jew. He says, but for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts, what satisfies the requirements of the law, it's not following Old Testament regulations. The only thing that counts is faith 
expressing itself through love. Faith expressing itself through love. When I serve others, is it something that I do reluctantly? When you and I serve people, is it something that we're like, oh, we have to take care of this person or I have to be on the surf team or is it something where we, we show up and I know there's moments where we have to get our, head on, our heads on right. That's why we have the serve team huddled every single service to get our, our heads on straight and be like, God, we're doing this for you. But look what it says in verse 13. It says, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is literally quoting Jesus there. A Pharisee one time when Jesus, in the middle of his ministry, was preaching. A Pharisee, the word says he was an expert at the law. He understood legalism to a T. He was the definite, I mean, you looked up legalism in the dictionary and it would have been the picture of this Pharisee. He was an expert at the law. One time this guy ran up to Jesus, this expert in the law, ran up to Jesus and said, try to, you know, get Jesus in a, in a paradox, kind of get him in a, in, a, in a contradiction. And he asked him, Jesus, how do I satisfy the entirety of the law? Jesus responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second command is just as significant as the first. Love your neighbor as yourself. By doing these two, you complete the law. Friends, I want to remind you this morning that you and I are called to serve one another humbly in love. How do we please God? Has anyone ever prayed that, God, help, help me to please you? Help me to lead a life that, that brings pleasure to you. How, how do we go about that? We serve one another. So I want to take a moment. And as we close, just to ask the Holy Spirit to draw to our minds any areas in our life that we may be void of love. I would also ask you, why is it that you're serving? Or who is it that you're serving? To borrow from the writer David Foster Wallace, he once said that everybody worships. The only say in the matter that you have is who you will worship. I would add to that and say everybody serves. The only say in the matter that we have is who are we serving? Some of us in this place, if we were honest with ourselves, we, would, we could say we are serving our own flesh. We live to satisfy our needs. That is our primary focus. From the moment we wake up to the moment our heads hit our pillow, we're thinking, how do I satisfy myself? I believe there is power when we confess that. That is what we would consider lawlessness. Or maybe you serve out of this fear that if you're not performing, somehow you are out of the club and God doesn't care about you and God doesn't love you and, 
Maybe you have fallen onto a legalistic side of things, that you only do this to kind of somehow keep yourself in right standing with the Father. It's not done out of, out of an overflow or out of an abundance of what God has done in you. Service has now turned into something that you just have to do. And today I pray that there is freedom in this place to serve one another humbly in love. So Father, I pray over every single person in this place. And friend, in fact, friends, can we just stand together as we conclude? God, I pray over every single person under the sound of my voice. Father, we know that we satisfy the requirements of the law not by our behavior and by doing all these different regulations that we read about in the Old Testament. Jesus has already told us that he has completed and accomplished the law and that simply by accepting his righteousness, we have now received the righteousness that satisfies the law. But we accomplish it in ourselves also when we love one another. The fruit of that. So Father, I pray that you would increase our love. I pray in this place that you would increase our desire to serve one another. The word that you use for that word serve is doulos. This idea of literally being a slave to one another. Not in such a way where we begrudgingly come alongside and do tasks, but in, in such a way where we have so much love and passion that we choose to serve. Father, I pray today that we recognize that you are a God. You say that you cannot be deceived. A man who reaps, or a man reaps what he sows. That when we serve, we are sowing to please the Spirit. I pray that today, God, you would help us serve. In fact, you tell us that that we should not become weary in doing good. And at the right time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So Father, I pray today that you would increase our strength. I pray that today that you would satisfy us. I pray today that we would not be given up to legalism, a spirit of legalism that says, I'm going to serve because it's what I have to do. Or a spirit of lawlessness that says, I'm just going to serve myself. I pray today that love would reign supreme in this place. If that's your heart, would you say amen? Amen. Come on, let's give the Lord some praise this morning. Thank you, God. Thank you, God.